This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program. We were planning to make this show a catch-up show, which we have to do every so often because we have such mounds of material to be addressed, but uh, this great interview plopped into our lap, and we're going to go with that today. That would be with Alex Hutchinson. He's an editor at Popular Mechanics Magazine, and his new book, Big Ideas, 100 Modern Inventions That Have Transformed Our World, is going to be our featured discussion in our second segment today. I think we'll do our our major catch-up work on next week's show. Let us begin the program as we like to do with On This Date in History, which in our case today is the 7th of May. It was on May 7th in 1763 when Pontiac's Rebellion began. It was a group of Native American warriors under Ottawa Chief Pontiac who attacked the British force stationed in Detroit. Pontiac finally signed a treaty with the British in 1766. Pontiac has also been in the news lately, given that GM is going to discontinue the brand, which I gather goes back to the 1920s. Uh, I must say, I did go to Los Angeles last weekend and uh, did have a Pontiac rental car, and it's not a surprise to me that they're going to be discontinued. The visibility out the back of that car was, frankly, dangerous. On May 7th in 1867, Alfred Nobel filed a British patent for dynamite. As a committed pacifist, Nobel hoped that his explosives would provide such a deterrent to war that they would bring peace to mankind, which didn't quite work out that way. In his will, Alfred endowed the annual Nobel Prizes, awarded to those who have conferred the greatest benefits of mankind in five categories, including peace. I know those categories have been expanded since then to include economics, which one does have to wonder about given our current meltdown, which no one saw coming. But to this day, there is no Nobel Prize for mathematics. Evidently, snubbed mathematicians are trying to get their revenge by instituting algebra now in California for 8th graders, which, considering how poorly it's been taught to ninth graders, may set this nation back a decade or more. Speaking of prizes, on May 7th in 1912 in New York City, Columbia University approved final plans for awarding the first Pulitzer Prize, established by publisher Joseph Pulitzer. Oddly enough, 61 years later on this very date, the Pulitzer Prize in Journalism was awarded to Carl Bernstein and Bob Woodward for their investigation of the Watergate cover-up. Two gentlemen appeared here in Sacramento a few months ago, and we reported on their appearance for you, which you can hear by going to our website, radioparallax.com. And final item for this date, it was on May 7th in 1963 that the communications satellite Telstar 2 was launched by the U.S., which allows two segues, the first being that in uh, Alex Hutchinson's book, Big Ideas, 100 Modern Inventions That Have Transformed Our World, satellites made the list no less than four times with Sputnik, GPS, weather, and communication satellites, including Telstar. This also allows us to play a few moments of the Tornado's great 1960s hit, Telstar.
Our quote of the day comes from Richard Cohen, who, referring to George W. Bush, said, He left office with the lowest presidential poll ratings in 60 years. Two wars begun and not ended, and the deepest recession since the Great Depression. If it's true that we learn from our mistakes, Bush's eight years represent a bonanza of lessons. Our quip of the day comes from Jay Leno, who said, Saudi Arabia is becoming even more fundamentalist. Clerics now in Saudi Arabia said they want women banned from appearing on television. They don't want women appearing, so apparently they get the view over there, too. Oh, that's a little unfair. There's probably worse shows on television than The View. Can't think of any right now, but I'm sure they're there. I mean, if you compare it to, like, you know, Return to Gilligan's Island, perhaps. Our joke of the day is as follows. A couple have been married for 20 years, but every time they made love, the husband insisted upon shutting off the lights. After 20 years, the wife felt this was kind of ridiculous, and she turned on the lights, looked down, and saw that her husband was holding a leisure device. She went ballistic. You impotent bastard, she screamed. How could you have been lying to me all these years? You'd better explain yourself. Husband looked her in the eye and said, Well, all right. I'll explain the toy, then you can explain the kids. Our twin stats of the day are as follows. The New York Times notes that about 19 million homes and apartments in the U.S., almost one in seven are sitting vacant. And of those 19 million, only 6 million are up for sale or rent. But it's worth noting in down economic times, according to CNN.com, that more women than ever are robbing banks. Why, it's been noted that last year, 6.2% of all bank heists in the U.S. were committed by women, which is a 25% increase up from 2002. Noted crime historian Robert McCree, Here's a crime you can commit easily. It's an equal opportunity crime. But I'm still an embryo with a long, long way to go Until I'll make my brother understand well, I am strong I am invincible. invincible I am woman I am woman All right, why don't we do the good, the bad, and the ugly? According to The Week magazine, it was a good week last week for Tinkerbell, a five-pound chihuahua belonging to Dorothy Utley of Michigan. The dog was evidently lifted into the sky by a violent storm and carried away. Allegedly, after a fruitless two-day search, a pet psychic told Utley to go to a wooded area a mile away where she found a very hungry but happy dog. It was, on the other hand, a bad week a few weeks back for applicants to the University of California when it was revealed that UC San Diego accidentally sent an email invitation to every student who who applied for the school's incoming freshman class, including the 29,000 who'd been rejected. UCSD admissions director May Brown 
apologized for the confusion, saying the mail was sent to rejected applicants because of a technical error. She said no one's been disciplined for the error. And it was an ugly week last week for keeping kosher after the first case of swine flu was confirmed in Israel. Said Deputy Health Minister Yaakov Litzman, we will use the term Mexican flu in order not to have to pronounce the word swine. Litzman is a member of the ultra-religious United Torah Judaism Party. We've talked about some of these ultra-religious parties on this program in the past, and all I can say is, if they can't pronounce the word swine, it probably doesn't look good for a Palestinian homeland. And final item, we're not sure whether this is good, bad, or ugly. It's probably a little of all three. But it was a something last week for total makeovers after Andrea Wachner of Los Angeles hired a stripper to attend her 10-year high school reunion in her place. Wachner, who was a self-conscious geek in school, evidently used a hidden earpiece to coach her stand-in, who wore and then shed a slinky dress and fishnet stockings. All I can say to that is, I wish I'd gone to high school with Andrea Wachner. All right, from the miscellaneous file, I have an item that I've been meaning to get to for weeks, and I I guess it's time to take the plunge here. I don't know how to classify this, but uh, it has to do with this actor, Seth Rogen. He's... uh, He's being called a, a man who's made the world safe for dweebs by, that was Eric Spitznagel writing in Playboy, where they did an interview with Mr. Rogan. It's noted that with his frizzy hair, horn-rimmed glasses, and chubby frame, the 26-year-old leading man of Knocked Up and Zack and Mary Make a Porno isn't exactly a matinee idol, and yet he says he spawned a host of imitators. I've seen more guys lately who look a lot like me. I've seen commercials every once in a while, and I think that dude wouldn't be on TV if it weren't for Knocked Up. So the question is, how is this guy some kind of sex symbol and opinion leader? I, I don't know. Well, what started me off on this was an article titled The Devolution of the Leading Man, which appeared in the late great magazine Radar a few months back. Said to note that even though I subscribed to Radar, when it went belly up, they then offered me the star as a substitute so I could learn more about Lindsay Lohan. But I was struck by this article describing how Hollywood's matinee idols were once handsome, rich, and urbane. These days, they they rarely bother shaving. But it was a rather hilarious uh, bit of graphic art that accompanied the article. It showed uh, like the, the opposite of the Darwinian evolution of going from ape to man, showing with a progressively more ape-like devolution, starting with Cary Grant, working through Rock Hudson, Hugh Grant, Ben Stiller, and finally winding up with Seth Rogen. Yes, this was a pretty funny little bit. The first picture shows Cary Grant in a tuxedo, describing him as homo tuxedus. The debonair gent who seduces with a good heart, better hair, and cutting quips. Which then devolved into Rock Hudson, homo homo. And hey, I'm just quoting it, okay? Described as an enticing scoundrel who gets the girl, and of course in real life, the boy, with playful teasing. I guess from the 60s and 70s we get to in the 80s, Hugh Grant, homo bumbleist, described as a bashful Brit who sweetly stutters his way into a woman's heart. And I guess by the 90s, we've now dropped down to the Ben Stiller level, Homo Neuroticus, described as an anxious nebbish who charms by overcoming one humiliating catastrophe after another, till we finally arrive at Seth Rogen, Homo Useless, a stoner degenerate who'd still be a virgin if it weren't for his sense of humor. I do think there is something to this. 
And while it is encouraging to note that you might still get the girl if you resemble Seth Rogen and don't have to be Cary Grant, I'm thinking this has to be a depressing prospect for the female of the species, no? But uh, no, actually, we're big fans of Cary Grant. There was an, ar- an article in Newsweek some back, sometime back uh, interviewing Wallace Shawn, the guy from My Dinner with Andre and The Princess Bride. He had a very funny exchange when someone asked him about a scene where he strolls in and someone's expecting Cary Grant. Sean Wallace said, you know, Cary Grant was not much like Cary Grant, so why should I be? Cary Grant is a made-up concept. And Mr. Wallace, of course, hit the nail on the head. Cary Grant himself, real name Archie Leach, once admitted that he pretended to be Cary Grant until he became him or he became me or we met in the middle somewhere. You know, we've often quoted Cary Grant on this program, uh, referring it to as our own Cary Grant theory of journalism. We think that if we pretend to be journalists long enough that uh, we're going to get there or it's going to get to us or we're going to meet somewhere in the middle. You know, I think we're getting there, but, you know, we welcome your feedback as always. So please don't hesitate to drop us a line at info at radioparallax.com. Miscellaneous item, probably from the, uh, probably inspired by that movie, The Bucket List, was Life Magazine's section on Wonders of the World, 50 must-see natural and man-made marvels. Um, Interesting selection, a few of which were rather preposterous. For example... Loch Ness is not one of nature's great wonders. It only made the list because some knuckleheads think there's a monster in the lake. We suspect some lobbying done by the Bureau of Scottish Tourism uh, was involved in that selection. Another one I wasn't too approving of, Biosphere 2, located out in the Arizona desert. A rather ambitious but failed experiment a few years back to put a bunch of people inside a building, lock them up, and create your own biosphere. It was a rather spectacular failure, and you know how it failed is actually quite interesting. But we don't have time to go in that today. Basically, it's a large glass structure out in the desert. Um, I would I saw it once driving by. I I think you know this is one I'd say don't bother. I mean, I hate to be a nitpicker here, but. The Christ, the Redeemer statue in Rio de Janeiro. Great viewpoint, great view of the city, but it's, it's a statue. I mean, nothing to compare with, like, you know, uh, the statue of David. But the view is so good that it's, you know, I guess it probably should make the list. For just, well, but for, just, for what it's worth, and it may not be worth much, uh, I've seen a few of these, these great attractions, these great wonders of the world, and, and the ones I would really say I would concur are spectacular would be the Pyramids, the Great Wall of China, Machu Picchu, and Victoria Falls, just to pick a few. Uh, the fact that uh, Iguazu Falls did not make the list at all is a rather glaring omission. It's every bit as spectacular as Victoria Falls and maybe even more so, and it's a hell of a lot better than Loch Ness. And for the record, we'd like to add a few that you might want to put on your bucket list that you wouldn't know about by reading Life magazine, and that would be Pagan Burma, spectacular archaeologic site. Previously mentioned Iguazu Falls. Yosemite, right here in Northern California, as good as, good as attraction as you're going to find anywhere in the world. And Mount Kilimanjaro. Hopefully you can get there before the snow all melts. We should add that these opinions, like all the opinions on this program, do not necessarily represent those of... KDVS, our sponsors, or the regents of the University of California. 
Although independent research conducted by the RAND Corporation shows that we are right an estimated 98.5% of the time. A guy with an equally good track record for being on the right side of things is our old pal, Will Durst. Thanks, Doug. And today I want to talk about Barack's first hundred days, which we kind of skipped over last week because of the looming horror of the swine flu epidemic, which now looks about as threatening as your average bunny rabbit hangnail. Although admittedly, some folks are still flipping out, like Egypt, which slaughtered pretty much every pig in the country. But fear not, fortunately for her, Ann Coulter was nowhere near the place at the time. All I'm saying is not many BLTs available in Cairo these days. So let's talk about the first 110 days of only the fourth Democratic administration since 1968. And I gotta tell you, from a comedic standpoint, frankly, I'm disappointed. I mean, thus far, the only scandal is a couple of cabinet appointments who didn't want to pay their taxes, which, to be honest, pretty much all of us can relate to. Barack has given me nothing, and it's hard to make fun of him. It's like kicking a small, furry, whimpering thing with big eyes. You gotta wait for him to scab over a bit. You can't mock hope. And because the economy is more fragile than a stepladder made out of spun glass right now. Pretty much everybody not named Rush Limbaugh is rooting for him to succeed. I know, some people say he's arrogant, but you know what? He's smart. And we tried arrogant and stupid, and that didn't work. But with pirates and pandemics and Pakistan all staring him down, his job is going to be tougher than untying a centipede's shoelaces while wearing oven mitts. Of course, if only we can survive his tax hikes half as well as we did Bush's tax cuts, things should end up all right. For Radio Parallax, I'm Will Durst. All right, let's take a short break and talk about some uh, inventions that have changed all of our lives. You're listening to Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Everett.